Hi friends, Lainey here, and I hope you are enjoying the holiday season. Now, since we released our last spooky episode of the season and for the rest of the year, we are partnering with other spooky and strange and unusual podcasts for the next few weeks until we return from our winter break. Now, this first episode is coming from Susto, and I have a feeling you're going to really enjoy it. Here's Aiden to tell you more. friends, it's me, Adrian, or Aiden, either way, I am still your host, and you are still listening to Susto. For those of you who are not familiar with me or the show, Susto is a scary podcast centered around paranormal folklore from Latin American and Hispanic cultures. Each episode is narrative-driven, so I like to tell a story, and then afterwards I dive into any relevant context that surrounds the story, whether it's cultural, historical, what have you, and sometimes they're just good old scary stories. Now you might be thinking, what is this? What's going on? Well, Your ghost hosts over at It's Haunted What Now have been so kind as to allow me to drop one of my episodes in their feed as a sneak peek into Susto if you haven't heard it before. If you have, hey ghoul friend, nice to see you again, funny running into you here. And if you haven't, I hope that you enjoy this episode and feel free to visit me anytime you'd like. Before we move on, if you have any of your own scary stories to share with me or anything you think that I should share on my social media pages, that's at Susto Podcast on every social platform, you can do so by sending me a DM to one of those platforms. You can write it in an email to sustopodcast at gmail.com. You can drop it in a Q&A on Spotify and a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, or you can send it through my website, that's www.sustopodcast.com. And while you're on my website, feel free to check out my other episodes, my shop, my blog, anything that I throw on there. Again, I hope that you enjoy it. It's so nice meeting you. And without further ado, let's get into today's episode. In the Playa Ancha Cemetery No. 3, in Valparaíso, Chile, there is a rather particular tomb, which, if its history is unknown to passers-by, can go easily unnoticed. However, the lore surrounding it could possibly be one of the only instances of a person who was able to deceive the devil after making a deal. The story begins at the end of the 19th century, with an impoverished Spaniard arriving in Valparaíso, a port city, a man who, like many, was on a quest to improve his life and grow a fortune in the world-famous Jewel of the Pacific. With its commercial prosperity, in the mid-19th century came a massive influx of immigrants who braved the dangerous trip around Cape Horn to settle in the city's bustling neighborhoods. The alleged unholy contract seeker, Martin Busca Villanova, encountered no fortune nor opportunity upon his arrival. It is said he spent weeks, possibly months, homeless on the streets of the port. He made a living off of whittling whistles and scraps of food he scavenged for. But everything changed when seemingly overnight, 
the wayward Spaniard went from living in destitution to becoming one of the richest men in the city. Nobody understood how this man, from very humble beginnings, was suddenly dressed in elegant suits, began to invest in businesses, and bought a beautiful home. It wasn't until his old age that he revealed his secret pact with Satan. After invoking the Prince of Darkness, the agreement they came to was quite simple. The devil would grant Martin all the riches that he desired in exchange for his soul, which the devil would collect after his death and at the moment his flesh and bones touched the ground. The years passed, and Don Martin became a great and generous benefactor to his friends and the poor of the city, for which he became one of the most beloved porteños of his time. However, a problem was always on his mind, his pact with the devil and how to break that agreement. Looking for a solution, he confided in his closest circle about the problem. Shortly after, Martin moved to the Casablanca Valley, where locals reported a dark carriage drawn by black steeds that would approach his house in the middle of the night. Due to the constant harassment from who many deduced was Satan himself, Martin returned to his home on the port where he initially found his fortune and struck the infamous deal. Legend is unclear whether Martin himself came up with the idea or if it was one of his friends who gave it to him. Regardless of who thought up the loophole, Martin already had intentions to terminate his wicked contract with the devil before returning to the port. At the age of 77, Martin commissioned the construction of a mausoleum. The community regarded the crypt as strange and unique a completely earthquake-proof structure that housed a stone coffin in the center, inscribed with his date of birth, death, and the name, Martin Busca V. One of the features that attracts the most attention from those who pause to admire it is the base of his tomb, which is suspended in the air thanks to a paw on each corner, each with six fingers. Many say that it is Martin's final joke against the devil and the superstition around the number 666. This allegedly allows Martin Busca to have his eternal rest, thus avoiding the pact he made with the devil, since his soul would belong to Satan only when his bones touched the earth. To this day, Martin's remains continue to hover only inches above the ground and just out of reach of the king of demons. It is said visitors who stop to pay their respects ask Martin for favors, and those who are brave enough to walk through the cemetery at night can still hear the devil searching for the soul of the man who managed to deceive him. So if you are a best ghoul friend on Patreon, you will be seeing this in video, or at least you'll have the option to. You can listen solely on the podcast if that's what you're into, but I'm going to be trying to introduce a visual aspect to this part of the episode for best ghoul friends on Patreon. I'm going to go ahead and jump into my sources. So the two links that I use to build this story, uh, I'm going to pronounce this 
in a way that I think is correct. It's yakonik.com and laguarta.com. These two websites had this story on there and they were both almost identical. Google Translate did the best it could. And I kind of built the rest around that. There was also a page that I used from savacations.com. And this one, it's just a breakdown of the port where this story is from. It's Valparaiso, aka the Jewel of the Pacific. This page I thought was actually really interesting because it gives some history about the city. And I did read about how there was this boom in the mid-19th century or early to mid-19th century and then by the end there was a decline and I want to read about that too because Martin's story kind of takes place towards the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century. So there was that boom early to mid-19th century and then it said in 1914 came the Panama Canal and everything changed. Now, instead of risking the perils of the Straits of Magellan, commercial freighters could cut directly through Central America, causing the city once known as the Jewel of the Pacific to fall into a long decline. Dock workers' strikes, earthquakes, and the flight of the moneyed families further added to Valparaiso's woes. By the time Pablo Neruda moved there in 1948, the city felt like a relic from a former time, its best days behind it or so it seemed. In the last two decades, Valparaiso has undergone a civic and cultural resurgence. A grassroots civic movement has revitalized the old neighborhoods and inaugurated several noted music festivals, causing the city to be named Chile's cultural capital by the National Congress. The New Year's by the Sea is the biggest fireworks display in Latin America, drawing over one million visitors annually, and the port itself is humming with container traffic from the copper and fruit industries. Due to the advent of post Panamax ships too big to pass through the Panama Canal. It would appear Valparaiso may have found its voice once again. So it's interesting to see how over time there was a boom because it was a port city. So, you know, all these ships coming by. And then because of the Panama Canal, it shortened that journey for other parts of the economy or commerce. I'm not I'm not an economist. I don't, I'm not an expert on that. But based on what I read here earlier, it's saying that the Panama Canal kind of shortened that route. So there was really no reason for other types of freighters to go through the port. They could just cut through the canal. That kind of led to some of the demise of Valparaiso. But then, because, you know, circle is a, or circle is a flat time. Time is a flat circle. You know, it, it came full circle and they had to use the port again because the freight, the freighters are are big again. They don't, some of them don't fit through the Panama Canal. Like it said, it found its voice again. So I thought this link was really cool. And again, as always, these links are going to be in the Susto Google Docs. There's a really pretty picture here of Valparaiso. It looks like a place that I would definitely love to visit in Chile, uh, especially for that New Year's by the Sea event. That sounds so fun. I'm going to see if I can find a video for the video segment of this. So I actually only have one link for this episode, but because I thought it was really, really cool and there are so many places that you could go from this page. There's so many sources to it. I just searched famous or infamous deals with the devil. And of course, good old Wikipedia brought me this page and it actually has alleged historical examples. And there's quite a few of them of deals with the devil. And these all seem to be based in reality, like Martin's story seems to be. It seems to be a story that's rooted in, like, a real person. So I'm gonna just basically read through this entire Wikipedia page, and it's just deal with the devil. And and then I'll go through all the different examples of historical examples. Some of them that I knew of already, some of them I didn't, and maybe you will also. So this says, a deal with the devil, also called a pact with the devil, Faustian bargain, or Mephistophelian bargain... 
mesothelioma, I'm kidding, is a cultural motif exemplified by the legend of Faust and the figure of Mephistopheles. Really quick, I already love earlier the the link before about Valparaiso. They mentioned Pablo Neruda, who is, fun fact, just one of my probably the only poet that I would recognize uh, his name because I really love his work. So if y'all haven't heard of Pablo Neruda, Google him, check out some of his poems and sonnets and all of that stuff. I, I really like what he writes. And also Faust, again, as some of you may know, I am a theater kid <laughs> and um, or was a theater kid. And Faust is one of the first plays that I remember reading about and being like, this is fucking cool. If you don't know, just a really quick rundown based on my memory is that Faust is a man. He was like a, I think he was like a scientist or like just like a, like an edu- general educated kind of person who wanted to know everything about everything, which is how a lot of these deals with the devil are. I think specifically he wanted to bring back, based on the play that I read, he wanted to bring back his lover or something. And in his attempt to bring her back, he needed to know everything about I could be confusing this with a different book that I read. But anyway, the play ends with him being torn limb from limb by all these demons as a way for the devil to keep his end of the deal, which is collecting his soul and torturing him and all that. So apparently I need to Google Faust again because that was a rough (laughs) summary of it. But I do, it sticks in my memory as like, oh, that's a thing that I like. Anyway, this continues. According to traditional Christian belief about witchcraft, the pact is between a person and the devil or another demon, trading a soul for diabolical favors, which vary by the tale, but tend to include youth, knowledge, wealth, fame, and power. It was also believed that some people made this type of pact just as a sign of recognizing the minion as their master in exchange for nothing, which foolish. I mean, at least get something. The bargain is a dangerous one, as the price of the fiend's service is the wagerer's soul. For most of religions, the tale may have had a bad ending, with eternal damnation for the foolhardy venturer. Conversely, it may have a comic twist in which a wily peasant outwits the devil. Characteristically, on a technical point, the person making the pact sometimes tries to outwit the devil but loses in the end. Example, man sells his soul for eternal life because he will never die to pay his end of the bargain. Immune to the death penalty, he commits murder, but his sentence uh, is life in prison. A number of famous works refer to Pacts with the Devil for the numerous European Devil's Bridges to the Violin, Virtuosity of Giuseppe Tartini, and Niccolo Paganini, or Paganini, to the crossroad myth associated with Robert Johnson. There's a synopsis here also. It says, It is usually thought that individuals who make a pact also promise to demons that they will kill children or consecrate them to the devil at the moment of birth. Many midwives were accused of this due to the number of children who died at birth in the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. Take part in witches' sabbaths, have sexual relations with demons, and sometimes engender children from a succubus or an incubus in the case of women, or I guess procreate with these demons. So this also reminds me of the episode that I did of, God, what was his name? The, the man who called into the Mano Peluda program, and he said that he made a deal with a demon. This falls under that kind of same kind of lore, where he made this deal, and if y'all remember in that episode, he said that uh, he he sacrificed his grandmother to this demon, that the demon was demanding his grandmother, and so that he killed her. And again, we end up finding out that that story may or may not have been a hoax. He's had alleged relatives, cousins come forward saying that it wasn't true, that it was just a myth, but it fits into this narrative of they have to keep giving to the demon. The deal is not just the deal. There's always, they want 
other things. I'm going to pause the spooky tales so you can hear a word from our sponsors. The pact can be either oral or written. An oral pact may be made by means of invocations, conjurations, or rituals to attract the demon, which it's said is what Martin did, is that he did some sort of ritual. Once the conjurer thinks the demon is present, they ask for the wanted favor and offer their soul in exchange, and no evidence is left of the pact. So there's no... There's no paper trail. There's no contract, like a written contract like we've seen in the movies, for the oral one, of course, because it's oral. There's no email, no follow-up email, nothing. See, I would ask for a follow-up email. I would ask for a written contract, like an e-signature, something. I wouldn't just... That can get really murky. Um, And I'm sure Satan has really great lawyers. But according to some witch trials, an oral pact left evidence in the form of the witch's mark, an indelible mark where the marked person had been touched by the devil to seal the pact. The mark could be used as proof to determine that the pact was made. It was also believed that on the spot where the mark was left, the marked person could feel no pain. A written pact consists in the same forms of attracting the demon, but includes a written act usually signed with the conjurer's blood. That's very what we see in the movies. Although sometimes it was also alleged that the whole act had to be written with blood. Oh, the whole contract, basically. Meanwhile, some demonologists defended the idea of using red ink instead of blood, and others suggested to use animal blood instead of human blood. Interesting. So I guess it really just depends on what kind of aesthetic the demon or the devil wants <laughs> while you're making this contract. Okay, and now we're going to be going through the alleged historic examples. And there are some pictures here. So if you are listening to the podcast only, you can go see the pictures on social media. And if you are watching on Patreon as a best school friend, then I'll just throw these up as they come up. The first one is an extensive legend of a supposed devilish pact was focused on the character of Pope Sylvester II, a prominent and skilled scholar and scientist in his lifetime who had studied mathematics and astrology in the then Muslim cities of Cordoba and Seville. According to the legend, spread by William of Malmesbury and Cardinal Bino, Sylvester II had also learned sorcery using a book of spells stolen from an Arab philosopher. He had a pact with a female demon, I'm not going to say her name, (laughs) who appeared after he had been rejected by his earthly love. Oh, so she found him when he was vulnerable, and with whose help he managed to ascend to the papal throne. Another legend tells that he won the papacy by playing dice with the devil. See, this is why I don't trust the Catholic Church, and I've said this before, because how are you a pope and you made a deal with the devil to be the Pope. This is where all these conspiracy theories come up. (laughs) That the Catholic Church does not worship God, that they're involved with all these secret societies and all these evil entities. Because there's stories like this. Wow, that's wild. This one's kind of silly, but I don't know. I'll let you be the judge of that. It's uh, the Icelandic priest and scholar Seymundur Sigfusson was credited in Icelandic folklore with having made pacts with the devil and managing by various tricks to get the better of the deal so he did this more than once is what this sounds like and very brave of him but it says for example in one famous story samander made a pact with the devil that the devil should bring him home to iceland from europe on the back of a seal samander escaped a diabolical end when on arrival he hit the seal on the head with the bible killing it and stepping safely ashore so basically he rode the seal just far enough and then killed it with the Bible, 
so that he could walk the rest of the way. Because then at that point, the seal didn't complete the journey. So I guess, you know, go off, Samunder. He figured it out. The next one says, According to a medieval legend associated with the Codex Gigas, the scribe was a monk who broke his monastic vows and was sentenced to be walled up alive. In order to avoid this harsh penalty, he promised to create in one night a book to glorify the monastery forever including all human knowledge. Near midnight, he became sure that he could not complete this task alone, so he made a special prayer, not addressed to God, but to the fallen angel, Lucifer, asking him to help him finish the book in exchange for his soul. The devil completed the manuscript, and the monk added the devil's picture out of gratitude for his aid. I've heard of this story. This is one story that I do recognize, and this is a book that exists. Like, this book is out there, and it's like a thick book, and it's, it. I mean, if the story is true, that it was written in one night, which that is the account, it would seem impossible for someone to write all of that in one night. So this is where that lore comes in, that he worked with the devil to write this book. There's, this is just a really quick bullet point, but it says notable supposed deals with the devil were struck between the 15th and 18th centuries. The motif lives on among musicians until the 20th century, which I think is something we hear all the time, like, oh, Beyonce is in the Illuminati, or like, she has a deal with the devil. And honestly, good for her. That's a really good deal, because... I love her. But this goes on. The next one is Johann George Faust, again, whose life was the origin of the Faust legend. John Flan, or Fion, I want Flan really bad, apparently. John Fion, executed on 27th of January, 1591. He was a doctor and school teacher who was declared as a notorious sorcerer. He confessed to have a pact with Satan during the North Berwick witch trials in Scotland, which he confessed to King James, as the trial proceedings were taking place, but later promised that he would renounce his pact with Satan and vow to lead the life of a Christian. The next morning, he confessed that the devil came to him in his cell dressed in all black and holding a white wand, demanding Fionn continued his faithful service, according to his first oath and promise that he made. So the devil was like, actually, no, you made a deal. You have to do it. You have to catch this check. Continues, Fionn testified that he renounced Satan to his face, saying, get thee behind me, thou Satan, and start pushing. He, (laughs) sorry, he really told the devil, push it, bitch, (laughs) said, keep it pushing. For I have listened too much to thee, and by the same thou hast undone me. In respect whereof I will utterly undo you. Damn, Fionn is brave. Literally said, I'm over you. Keep it pushing. Love that. He confessed that the devil then answered, that once ere thou die, thou shall be mine. Basically reminding him of the deal, like, Say what you want to, but once you're dead, your soul is mine. The devil afterwards broke the white wand and immediately vanished from his sight. He then was given a chance to lead the life he promised, but the same night he stole a key to his cell and escaped. He was eventually captured and tortured until his execution. What's the saying? There's no honor among thieves. So this guy made a deal with the devil got scared or thought he was going to get caught and tried for witchcraft and then was like, just kidding. I don't want you to execute me, so I'll be a good Christian. Fuck you, Satan. And then they were like, okay, you know, we're giving you a second chance. And he was like, psych, and broke out of jail. (laughs) But then was caught. And you know, maybe that was the devil that was like, you know what? You tried to break up with me. Guess what? I'm going to make sure you get caught and that you're executed. uh, That way I can have your soul. Damn. John Fionn messed up. 
The next one is Urbain Grandier, 17th century French priest. Urbain Grandier, yeah, who was tried and burned at the stake for witchcraft. One of the documents presented at his trial was a diabolical pact he supposedly signed, which also bears what are supposed to be the seals of several demons, including that of Satan himself. I'm looking at this picture and I don't know what's wrong in my brain that I see this and I'm like, this is actually a really cute design. I would love this on a t-shirt or like on a tote bag. And then for some reason, I had the intrusive thought that was like, oh, some of these seals would make interesting tattoos. And I was like, no, they're literally demon seals. This is a document. This is a historical document and it's presented as a real thing. So really cool. And the next one is Christoph Heismann, 17th century painter from Bavaria, allegedly signed two packs to be a bounden son to the devil in 1688. Interesting. So he went for it. Not only do I want to deal, I want to be be my daddy devil. And he probably thought that was going to give him tons of power, but if anything, the devil just made him like work for him. The next one is Bernard Falk, Folk, F-O-K-K-E. Fuck. 17th century captain for the Dutch East Indian Company, renowned for his uncanny speed from the Dutch Republic to Java, which led to legends that he was in league with the devil. He is also alleged to be the model for the ghostly captain of the Flying Dutchman. Interesting. And they probably called him the Flying Dutchman because he flew because of how fast he was. Next one is Jonathan Moulton, 18th century brigadier general of the New Hampshire militia, alleged to have sold his soul to the devil to have his boots filled filled with gold coins when hung by the fireplace every month. That sounds fun. (laughs) Me just perusing through the kind of contract I want. The next one is Giuseppe Tartini, Venetian violinist and composer who believed that his Devil's Trill Sonata was inspired by the Devil's appearance before him in a dream. Ooh. Violin Sonata in G minor, more familiar known as the Devil's Trill Sonata, is a work for solo violin by Giuseppe Tartini. It is the composer's best-known composition, notable for its technically difficult passages. A typical performance lasts 15 minutes, I think it says. Niccolo Paganini is the next one, an Italian violinist who may not have started the rumor but played along with it. I'm guessing that the rumor was that he made a deal with the devil, but he went along with it. See, that's funny. That sounds like something that I would do. If Susto really took off and I became world famous, which would be a dream. And people started saying I made a deal with the devil. I'd be like, yeah, my legal team looked over it and everything. Next one is Philippe Moussard, French composer and more importantly, orchestra leader whose wild conducting and sensuous concerts generated the rumor while a celebrity in Paris in the 1830s. Okay, this one sounds like he was just like an interesting person, you know, maybe like a little eccentric. And this says wild conducting and sensuous concerts 
generated the rumors. He probably was just different and unique and interesting. And people said, nope, devil. Next one is Tommy Johnson. This one is more recent than all of these other ones. This is, I'm guessing these are his date of birth and death, 1896 to November 1956. And he's a blues musician. He was an American Delta blues musician who recorded in the late 1920s and was known for his eerie falsetto voice and intricate guitar playing. He was unrelated to the blues musician Robert Johnson. Yeah, this and the next one is Robert Johnson, whose date of birth here says is 1938. So before Tommy, blues musician who legend claims met Satan at a crossroads and signed over his soul to play the blues and gained the mastery of the guitar. This last one is Infernus. And this one's also a recent one. It says, born 18th. Uh, June 1972. Infernus is a black metal musician. Unlike the claims above, it is Infernus himself who directly claims he sold his soul to the devil. This is a person that we have recent record of saying, I made a deal with the devil. According to the official website for Infernus's band, Gorgoroth, Infernus founded the band after making a pact with the devil in 1992. That's when it was born. Uh, Infernus is also on record, including a music magazine, publicly stating that he worships Satan. Just because people say things doesn't mean it's true. This could also mean that maybe he was riding that satanic panic wave as like a marketing scheme. So I'll end it with this last section from the wiki, and it just says metaphor. It says, the term, a deal with the devil, or Faustian bargain, is also used metaphorically to condemn a person or persons perceived as having collaborated with an evil person or regime. Let me tell you, I've made a in, in this case, I made a couple of deals with devils in my life. It says an example of this is the Nazi-Jewish negotiations during the Holocaust, both positively and negatively. Under Jewish law, the principle of pikauch or pikwach nefesh, saving life, so the principle is called that, but it means saving life, is an obligation to compromise one's principles in order to preserve human life. Rudolf Kastner was accused of negotiating with the Nazis to save a select few at the expense of the many. The term has been misused in reference to Kastner's act. It seems that that comes down to, I guess, personal interpretation of what kind of deal is being made. Welcome back one last time, ghoul friends. Thank you so much again for listening. If this is your first time hearing Susto, I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that you'll check out my other episodes. And this was, again, just a taste of what a typical episode of Susto is like. Sometimes I do book reviews. Sometimes I do interviews. Sometimes I do crossovers with other shows. So if you enjoyed this, feel free to visit me on my website, sustopodcast.com. Subscribe, follow, rate, review. You know what to do. All those buttons wherever you are listening. And if you have your own scary story, or even if it's a video, photo, anything paranormal related that you think I should share either on my show or my socials, send that to me via email. That's sustopodcast at gmail.com through my website, sustopodcast.com in a DM on any social media at sustopodcast across all platforms or by leaving it in the Spotify Q&A or a five-star Apple Podcasts review. One more time, thank you so much for being here. I hope that you enjoyed this and I will haunt you later. Bye.